Welcome to another episode of Ladywood, the podcast where two old fans and one newbie are watching Deadwood from the very beginning in anticipation of the movie that will be coming out sometime in 2019. My name is Brandi Sperry. I'm a writer in Los Angeles and also co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. My name is Sita Sean. I'm a stand-up comedian and comedy writer in Los Angeles. And I'm Lynn Sternberger, television writer in LA. This episode is titled Suffer the Little Children. It was written by my girl Elizabeth Sarnoff and directed by Dan Minahan, who is actually the same guy who was directing the movie. First aired May 9th, 2004. Deadwood breathes easier when writers arrive with precious vaccine and word of a possible treaty with the Sioux. Awaiting Trixie's return, a pragmatic Swearingen resists counsel from a bloody-minded Farnham. Tolliver teaches a cruel lesson to two would-be thieves and to his madam. Continuing saga of Flora and Miles in this episode. This felt like a part two. Part two for sure. I mean, we pick up cleaning up the blood from the man that Dan killed because he looked at Flora. I think that this blood stain is the hardest working prop on Deadwood. It is in multiple, <laughs> multiple scenes. This would all be so much easier if they had simply sealed their floors. I'm just going to say it. I was like, this looks very rough and tumble. I don't think that Al did the most thorough job when they were constructing the floor at the gem. Just paint them black. <laughs> there you go. There you yeah. go. That's another solution. Or red. <laughs> um, Deadwood's hottest club. The gem saloon. It's got black floors. It's got stabbings. <laughs> Actually, there's a body count in this episode. Increased body count. Two. Bing, bang, boom. Well, bing, bang. Bing, bang. I mean, <laughs> let's let's jump to the end and talk about that because what the fuck? <laughs> this is my main question. What the fuck about how fast the storyline kind of starts and then ramps up and then ends? Like, it feels very abrupt to me. Yeah, it felt like an anticlimactic climax. Flora sniffs out the fact that Joni is doubtful of the story that she's presented or the way that she's holding herself and, like, this uh, cockamamie story that she's cooked up with her brother we don't even know if that's mm -hmm. her brother and decides they got to pull off the heist which is just a bunch of fake jewelry that was a terrible idea <laughs> i just didn't understand how they seemed so methodical at first at casing both joints, yeah. and then when the when i guess the enemies are closing in that she just went with like the worst possible plan I'm going to Joni's bedroom. I'm going to raid her things. Yeah. Right. And Miles is like, oh, you want it to go dirty. You just want to cut somebody's throat. But I'm like, kind of. But that doesn't really explain all of her actions. You know, like she could still, I don't know, she could still cut somebody's throat later on down the road and they could, I don't know, raid the safe or, and actually make it worth their time. Mm. So she's a psychopath, right? Like the way that she sort of has that like mask of sanity and then the language that she uses when she's not being studied with her quote unquote brother and the guy in the street who's like sexually obsessed with her. And mm -hmm. I was like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of either sociopaths or psychopaths in this episode. Like Sai, I think falls into that camp as oh, completely. well. I think that for me, this episode, I thought that the story was primarily about Flora and Joni and sort of their relationship, but ultimately it ended up being a story about Sai and how just 
dangerous and crazy he is because uh, as you said it escalated so fucking quickly yeah like because i think this is probably the most horrifying scene i've seen in deadwood in the last like eight episodes even though there was like the crazy scalping of the family which kind of we saw but it was in the dark so it was mm-hmm. also shot from far away this was like watching Kristen bell's tiny body getting beaten up by mm-hmm. somebody who's like two times her size like, that that level of violence was like, oh my god. Right, like, like even the people in the town are horrified yeah. as they're watching this. It, I mean, Jane looks like she wants to jump in, but she doesn't have her gun on her. She doesn't know mm-hmm. what to do. Like, nobody really knows what the protocol is for jumping in on something like this. They kind of just want it to get out of the street so they can ignore that it's going on. The reaction shots from the henchmen were also really horrifying, too, because the henchmen were, like, enjoying it. I know that one guy was, like, gleeful. Yes! Punching him. I mean, the whole thing is just unpleasant. And then I also am gonna just be a little petty and say I hate the way that the whole scene is shot inside the room when they actually kill the guy. Mm -hmm. I felt like the, the filters and the angles were insane. Um, yeah, I mean, it all, it took away from the moment for me because now I'm thinking about the camera angles and the shaky cam mm-hmm. that you're using and whatever. And it's like, I get it. He's a psychopath. Like, mm-hmm. we don't need, like, psychedelic <laughs> shit to tell me that. Like, now I'm thinking about that instead of being in the moment and trying to, like, I feel like you should be thinking about what Joni's feeling in that moment. And yeah. instead, I'm thinking about size, leering face and the weird camera angles. Totally. I think the camera stuff was reflecting his mentality and not her mentality. It would have been much more chilling and terrifying if we had just seen the thing play out with the performances that they were delivering. It would have been fine and and even more powerful to just focus on that instead of like, oh, I'm getting seasick from... Totally. An Um, Emmy for that makeup artist who did Kristen Bell's, like, post-beat-up makeup. Because, like, whatever they did, it made her look like half of her face had collapsed down. It was droopy. And, like, her eyes were, like, an inch or two inches lower than her, uh, like, left eye. So, like, that to me, that particular image was more horrifying because the makeup was done so well that I believe that that was happening. Props to the makeup artists, truly, unsung heroes of shows like this. Yeah. but also, I think Sai says that he thinks that her skull was caved in, crushed oh, in. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, yeah, that looks like that. Yep. That looks exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Which is part of how he gets Joni to actually pull the trigger because he's, she's kind of putting, putting her out of her misery. Yeah, she's not yeah. coming back from that. Yeah. Right? yeah. Do you think the makeup artist got the script and was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. They're like, I crushed have... skull. <laughs> My Emmy reel away. <laughs> I'm going to pull that droopy face stuff. Yeah, I'm putting away the fake dirt that I've been rubbing on everyone's faces. I'm getting out the big guns. The Mac 80 that's been on everyone's faces for the last six episodes. I love that scene between Kristen Bell and Joni when I, I, I like changed my mind halfway through the episode. I was like, is Joni on to them? I couldn't really tell if Joni was on to them. And then um, Kristen Bell says this great line. Which was, who am I, your little baby or your little sister or you? And I was like, wow, that is such a direct read of, like, mm-hmm. Joni. It was so, it was such a good character moment. And then when Joni said, you're not going to get out of here alive, I realized, oh, actually, Joni has known 
probably all along that this girl was a grifter. But for Joni, it was more important to keep her alive mm-hmm. than any sort of possible like robbery or like loss of valuable goods. It didn't matter to mm-hmm. Joni if she was going to lose a couple necklaces. You know, she wanted this girl to stay alive no matter what. And I was like, oh, damn, that's horrible. So in the scheme of things, I mean, Flora is sort of a one-of-a-kind female character in this world. I, I mean, all of the characters are so well-drawn that we can say they're all sort of one-of-a-kind. But as for women in this era, in this mm-hmm. tiny corner of the United States, well, not even the United States yet, but in this tiny corner of the Wild West, she's I'm not what she seems at all. Is, is that feminist in and of itself that we've given her you know sort of like she's not a henchman even she is the mastermind of this criminal plot and um she seems to be the one calling the shots with the guy that she's in cahoots with do you not think it's really her brother i don't i don't think it's her brother necessarily think so i i will never know right right that whole thing was a story that they cooked up when they entered town so i don't take anything that she said at face value they could be sure they could be do they ever talk about their dad in a way that leads us to believe? No. Their dad is always used as a, a like a plot forward for them. Yeah. Like I saw my somebody said they saw my dad's picture. So we never actually hear like dad would be so proud of us for getting one over on these people <laughs> or taking after our old no, man it's, or it's funny, it just never occurred to me that they weren't actually brother yeah. or sister, but you're right, like it's not confirmed in any way other than the fact that whatever they're both blonde or something. And they could, you know, they could easily be a couple. Because he's definitely the more submissive in the pair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think that I, I'm glad that we get a taste of, like, I don't know, complicated women who aren't mm-hmm. doing good. Because all of our other female characters, we are so aligned with them and actually believe that they're heroic. I think for the most part, even Trixie's heroic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alma is for sure a fuck up in some ways, but she's trying to make the right choices. So this character was way more morally dark than light, you know? Right. I think one of the other things about Flora that I think sort of informs her decision making is that she doesn't have like a a very strong like male protector, essentially. Mm -hmm. Because even as independent as Jane was, she had Bill Hickok. Uh, mm-hmm. backing her and Charlie Utter and Trixie has Elsridge and Joni has Sai. like all of these uh, female characters essentially have somebody that's either going to protect them through money or through power or through like violence mm-hmm. in some way and and I don't think Flora does I think Flora is she is that person she is that person so her choices are are all made sort of with the assumption that she would have to take the brunt of the risk because Miles is probably not going to save her from, like, the most horrendous jams, you know? Like, he could probably, you know, scheme his way, but he's he's not, he's, like, the same height as she I don't even know right? what Miles is doing. Right. Like, he's just hanging around, sweeping up the gem, waiting for Flora to say, okay, go do this or yeah. that. Like, I actually think my problem with the plot, not with the characters, but the plot, is that we don't, we're unclear on what their scheme is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wish see that would have been clear. They're casing something, but we're like, okay, but specifically... How are you getting away? What are you stealing? What's the end game here? This and we never why knew I would it. have liked it to be a few more episodes. I would have liked to see that her figuring out how she can, I don't know, steal the keys to the cage where the money is or this or that, like something that would that would indicate that it was worth the risk and that she was smart enough to totally. come up with a plan like that. I think we get like a tiny bit of what kind of schemes they might have pulled off before just by Miles saying, you know, you want this one to end badly and 
also like that they seem to know between each other what the plan is without much discussion but yeah they're I don't know. certainly I not a bonnie and clyde no but I, I just wish i wish they'd been on for a couple more episodes i totally agree and i also think that um because of how quickly it played out it sort of reduced flora to somebody that changes something for Joni. It, right. it had very little to do with flora mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. getting a character arc or yeah. even getting clarity as to like okay what's her point of view um, it was really like, how do we put the heat on Joni? How do we shake Joni even more? How do we depress her even more? How do we d- get her to decide to make a change? And because I guess Sai doesn't have a ton of insight into the workings of Joni's mind, like their conversations are always so what the fucky that Flora got to come in and be like, you know, you have really weird feelings about women and also you know like you're unhappy here and I don't know I feel like it was just in service to Joni right and you said well for Joni to make a change but then when that final scene between her and Sai comes it's really him realizing he's gone too far and then offering her some Mm -hmm. tiny modicum of freedom what he thinks is a huge gesture but what we know and she knows would just perpetuate the cycle that they have going on yeah and you know she eventually says you know really let me go not whatever you're proposing to back me in a new venture that you'll ultimately control really let me go or basically i'm gonna kill myself yeah to me i wish that this whole incident had pushed her to something a little more radical other than just still reacting to what sai offers to her yeah i feel like that i feel all of that i think What's so good to me about this whole sequence is like size violence really explained to me Joni's depression in the previous episodes because mm. as like a just like a first time viewer, Joni seemed to have a lot more control over her life and autonomy than a lot of the other women that were in in Deadwood. She has money, she's comfortably cared for, she has a position of power. So to me, it was it was. Uh, I was a little puzzled by her. I was like, why is she so unhappy? I know she's working in a whorehouse, but, you know, like, why is she so unhappy? Relatively Uh, to what's available. Exactly, exactly. And so this scene just really put into very stark relief, like, this is why she's depressed. She is with, like, a psychopath that's evil and that could possibly strike out at any moment. I can't help but think that having her and Eddie witness this violence is as much a threat to them as it is for him to take care of Flora and what perceived violence he has for himself mm-hmm. and his power. It's pretty classic, like, m- like pimp manipulation, which is that you your violence comes maybe not directly at the person that you're intending it for, but around that person so they never feel safe. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Joni's mm-hmm. feeling. She doesn't feel safe. So even if we wish... For her to make a radical move, she's way too traumatized by this. Yeah, you're right. She's just way... I mean, she. I just don't think she has a support system there. I mean, she can't lean on any of her girls. She doesn't kind of know what Eddie's up to, even though Eddie's supportive of her. But they, they're not at the point where they're like... They could provide each other with the emotional support that they need. I think we'll see that play out a little yeah. bit more. Um, Sita, I just want to say I truly appreciate all of your pimp intel. <laughs> Uh, classic pimp move. According but it, to Basai Sita is such a classic pimp. He's yeah. like, you know, he manipulates the women for power and influence and all that. Yeah. Right. Well, while we're talking about women's choices, let's talk about Alma and how she cannot fucking decide whether to leave town or not. And it's destroying lives, Alma. <laughs> she's staying. No, she's going. No, she's staying. 
Pickling woman. <laughs> She's definitely messing around with Trixie. I mean, this is this is definitely uh, the source of the complication of Trixie's life right now. She allied herself with Alma when she was getting her off the dope. Then Alma tried to send Trixie into like New York with the girl and Trixie was ill-equipped to handle that. Now she's, it's just awful. Trixie's ODing. I feel like, mm. so Alma still doesn't seem to realize how big of a risk Trixie took by helping her. Because ultimately, after the doc comes to Alma and says, I lied and said that you would take Trixie with you to New York. And Alma's like, well, I made that offer already. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like she's going to go to Trixie and she's going to make that offer for real. But instead, she still offers to either send her away Mm -hmm. with just gold, not Mm -hmm. the girl this time, or have her come and stay with her and the girl instead of going back to the gem. Which Alma does not seem to realize is impossible. Impossible, yeah. Can't do it. Not in the same town. Yeah. Money is not going to fix Trixie's problems. And Alma doesn't understand that. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating to watch that scene where she goes to Trixie's bed. And Trixie, because the girl is there and because she is resigned now post-suicide attempt, is sort of nice about it. (laughs) But I wanted her to be like... You rich cunt again, basically. Yeah. Like, you still don't get it. She cannot just live a different life in Deadwood. It's not going to happen with Al around. So it seems. So it seems. I, don't, I mean, at this point... She's handed over the gold to him. An interesting parallel to her giving him the gun at the end of the first episode. I felt like that they were dr- definitely drawing that parallel for us. Like, so specifically, she gets naked, she puts it on the bedside, and then she gets into bed with him. And it's like, you have you you have access to all of the things that give me any sort of empowerment. Right. I liked a lot of the fallout of a sort of how men have abused their powers over women and the sort of the reactions of women to that. So for me, Trixie's uh, suicide attempt was very much like, I'm absolutely in the most horrifying place I can be in. This is the only way I can think of to get out, which is a direct result of Al. And then Joni's like subsequent depression is all, is a direct result of Cy Tolliver. You just see, you can really see in the female characters, like the repercussions of this horrifying violence that's around them at all times. It would definitely be a more copacetic city if it really was Ladywood. And yeah. <laughs> Just the female characters coexisting peacefully. Maybe less compelling dramatics, but... Ellsworth can stay. Ellsworth can stay. Oh, totally. And Saul. Saul's totally welcome, right? Yeah. I, need, I need a shop with Saul, but you know. <laughs> but definitely, no, I, I agree. Uh, see, the guys have thrall over these women, mm-hmm. and it's, it's horrible. And I think... You know, as female viewers, we're rooting for them to get out from under the thumb of these men somehow. Right. But the best Al can muster is to realize maybe he shouldn't have grabbed Trixie by the snatch. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. That was is that progress for Swergen? For him, it's progress, right? Points made. Uh, snatch grabbing. Yeah, maybe don't grab them by the pussy. Ugh. He's like, is she mad about that? As if he never questioned that that could ever possibly be something someone would not want to happen to them. I was kind of surprised by Al in this episode because the entire episode, I thought he was hell bent on like punishing Trixie. And then when she came back and and he saw the, the like the huge bruise from the OD incident. And I realized in that scene that I think he was worried about Trixie. Yeah. Right. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't just, like, I, I thought the whole time it was, like, oh, fuck, he's gonna, like, beat the shit out of her. When if he didn't like her, she'd be 
out in the cold or dead by now. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, when we're introduced to her, she's definitely done something Alice told her not to do. She has a gun. She's killed a customer. Like, he's cleaning up her mess. So, if it were a simple dynamic, Trixie'd be gone. Yeah. Clearly, he's got some fondness for her. It's not exactly redemptive. Mm-hmm. It gives me faith that Trixie won't die because of Al. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, this I just want to say this is the first episode where I'm watching this with my wife, who also, like Sita, has never seen the show before. Yeah. This was the first episode where she was like, is there some homosexuality <laughs> happening? And I was like... Honey, just wait. <laughs> just wait. With, with the, Joni? With the Flora and Joni in bed together sequence. Yeah. She was like, is something going to happen? And I was like, yeah, but not what you anticipate. <laughs> not what you're hoping for. <laughs> All right. No spoilers. Two super small things I wanted to talk about. I love that opening line where, Dan, you might want to get a girl interested other in some way other than killing someone. That was really oh. funny. Dan. Oh, Dan. And then uh, E.B. is really murderous this episode. Oh, yeah. He wanted to off the the widow. widow. And Seth. And Seth. That's right. And I didn't like it. I didn't like E.B. being murderous. I like him scheming. I like him trying to take like $20 from Al (laughs) Swearingen. I don't like him concocting a murder. I think Al definitely puts him back in his place by the end because he does start fucking with him over having only gone to 19.5 on his offer to Mm. Alma which Al learned from Seth. Yeah. And I like that as a bookend to him, E.B. trying to, like, be really part of the murderous plots at the beginning. Yeah. And Al's like, I can still make you nearly piss yourself by pointing out that you stole $500 from me. (laughs) Like, let's not get ahead of ourselves, (laughs) E.B. Oh, the only other thing I wanted to mention was... Um, I'm, I guess I'm just going to be that the continuity and like practicality, <laughs> Dr. No, the how, the questioner who just is ruining the movie magic of it. But like, where is Alma getting this wardrobe? <laughs> yeah, the, that widow wardrobe is she on looks point. stunning. She was, she was ready for it. She came with her all black trunk full of jewel encrusted <laughs> collars. All of her silk skirts and this, yeah, like, beautiful morning fabric. I'm like, what the hell? Where? Did Charlie just bring back a trunk of morning clothes for Alma? What happened? She said that her people back home are aware of her situation, so one can assume she's been writing to people, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe she received some sort of shipment. Is there a seamstress that's just, like, in town making her all this great stuff? It fits her so beautifully. I mean... Oh, a a quick question about Alma's financial situation. Does she stand to inherit her husband's money? She's. uh, It seemed that her husband still had to ask daddy for money. Mm -hmm. So, well, now she's got a bonanza, so it doesn't matter They made her rich without having to clarify what that (laughs) dynamic will be. They were like, the rich just get richer in Deadwood. (laughs) Right. Oh, and uh, I I meant to say that... uh, I really appreciate, I know that, Sita, you take issue with Farnham's turn of character in this episode, but I really like that finally we get to see Al and Bullock sort of aligned on something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, They still don't um, agree with the way that the other man carries himself, I guess, but they have a common need to settle their differences for the good of both of their businesses and for the future of the camp. And uh, at one point, Al says, come here, Bullock, uh, come drink with your vanquished foe. And I thought it really captures Al's humor and sort of lightheartedness in the face of all of the shit that can happen in a town like Deadwood. 
and I really like seeing them have to work together. Mm-hmm. This sort of uneasy alliance is have becoming to paddle in the same direction. Y- yes, they're sharing a it. canoe. Can you visualize that? <laughs> For sure, Al would be in the front of the canoe, and Bullock would be the sensible man steering the back of the canoe. Um, they would just go in circles. But no, actually, they would they would get somewhere because they weirdly work as a duo. Anybody have the standout moments of the episode? I just want to mention Johnny with his laryngitis is so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck was that? It was so pointless. Like, did the actor really lose his voice? <laughs> they were like, yeah, just Seemed working like it. like it had to be something like that because it <laughs> literally did not pay off. He had laryngitis and that was it. I don't know. It's just so funny to me. When he's trying to, like, do the, like, thumbs up to Al and he's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> ah, Deadwood. I'm just going to pretend like it was a delightful detail inserted just for my enjoyment. And they totally did it on purpose. I feel like in the Deadwood writer's room, at least I hope, they had some sort of, like, book, uh, a compendium of, like, all of the illnesses that existed at the time, and they were just throwing them at the wall in every single episode. Because so far, we've had a whole bunch of disease. We've ha- we have whatever's going on with the Reverend. We have the plague, or the smallpox. We have laryngitis now. <laughs> um, we've had... Some sort of STD. There yeah. had to be some STD. For sure. All all the things. Maybe they, you know, got to use Doc Cochran. The actor's (laughs) so spectacular. So they're just like, who's going to get sick next? Always something for the doc to do. He needs a vacation. (laughs) I'm concerned concerned about the doc's health. Yeah, does the concept of a vacation exist? (laughs) No, definitely not. It's like in Downton Abbey when the dowager goes, what's a weekend? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, Brad, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. Dorif? Always seems on the verge of just losing it. Mm-hmm. He's always hanging on by a thread. So, um, things up in the air moving forward. What will happen with Sai's offer to Joni? What will come of Trixie now that she has returned to the bed of Al Swearingen? And where's Jane? What the fuck is up with Jane? Kind of mostly absent from this yeah. episode. Come back to us, dear Jane. So listen in next week when uh, we're back with episode nine of Deadwood. For now, you can find us on Twitter at Ladywoodcast. You can find me at Lynn Sternberger. You can find me at Wee Brandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. And you can find me at Slowbear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. Thank you for listening. Sweet Melissa. Suffer the little children